This is Mitchell McLam, lead pastor of Sapona Road Church in Fayetteville, North Carolina. We're so excited you found our podcast. Our prayer is that you're blessed by today's message. If you would like more information about Sapona Road Church or would like to give to this ministry, please visit our website at saponaroadchurch.com. We hope you have a great day and enjoy today's message. Turn to your seat, but I'm going to ask everybody to stand with me for the reading of God's Word. Several months ago, I was in revival. I'm in a different church every week of my life. And I don't know how you pray, but I'm a walker. Whether it's in my study at home or in a church setting as this, many times I just pace the floor and cry out to God. While walking down the side, I was praying and asking the Lord to give me a word for his people. You see, I've often had young ministers ask me, Preacher, how do you prepare for revival? And, you know, there's this stigma that, you know, evangelists just preach the same thing over and over. Well, here's how I do it. Brother Gore, I'll I'll ask the Lord to give me a message, not a sermon, but a message that is relevant to every culture, to every congregation, to every individual. And no matter when it is preached, how it is preached, it will be not just something I I discovered from study, but it will be a word from the Lord. And immediately upon asking him, Lord, give me a word, because you do understand Though we say revival begins with prayer, I have discovered that that is not necessarily the case. Pardon me. Everywhere you find revival break loose in Scripture, it began with a word from the Lord. When the prophet of God was given a word for a city or for a people, he went with that word and the people prayed. We'll throw down on Jonah because, you know, Jonah, he skipped town on a boat. Well, that's okay, but it wasn't because he just didn't want to do it. It was because of the word that God had given him. He said, God, that's a heavy word. I I don't know that I can handle it. But when he delivered that word, the Bible said that the king called the people to prayer. And because of that word, the people prayed. And because of their prayer, the city was saved. I was praying, God, give me a word. And immediately I heard the Spirit speak to me. Out of your belly shall flow rivers of living water. And immediately I began to speak that out loud, and I just began to pace the floor. And all I could say was, out of your belly shall flow rivers of living water. And the Spirit began to pray for me. And 
I felt those living waters flow. And amazingly enough, I, I, I preached this message just a few weeks ago at the Benson Church of God. And several days later, we were at the Tools Conference for our Eastern North Carolina Churches of God. And Justin, the bishop, got up and read from the very same text, a different message, but the very same text. And I spoke to him after service, and I said, Bishop, I said, I believe God's trying to do something through this text. And I explained to him the very thing I had just told you. A few days ago, another pastor contacted me and said, Brother Ball, I just want to share with you, God's been stirring my heart for my people, and all I can hear him saying is, Out of your belly shall flow rivers of living water. Now, friend, out of the mouth of two or three witnesses, God is speaking to his people. In John chapter 7, verse 37, In the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried, saying, If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. He that believeth on me, as the scripture hath said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. But this spake he of the Spirit, which they that believe on him should receive. For the Holy Ghost was not yet given, because that Jesus was not yet glorified. I want to speak to you for just a few moments on living water. You may be seated. Upon their exodus of Egypt, the people of God wandered in the wilderness for some 40 years. Now you must understand that the wilderness was not a place of party. The wilderness was not a place of comfort. In fact, a wilderness is a dry place. It is a barren place. It is a hot place. In this place of desert, the people of God found themselves without water. Now, you might be able to live without food for a day or two in the wilderness, but you must have water or you'll die. They begin to cry out against the prophet Moses. It were better for us if we were back in Egypt. For back in Egypt, we could at least find a cup of water somewhere. Oh, Moses, it were better. If we were back in Egypt, because back in Egypt at least they had some rivers where we could find something to quench this thirst. How quickly they had forgotten that in order for them to get this water, they had to be enslaved by the enemy. And how quickly they had forgotten that in order for them to take a drink, they had to have their backs beaten and worked to death. They cried out to Moses. And Moses being the great intercessor that he was, he went before God and he said, Lord, these people need a drink of water. Lord, if they do not find this water, they're going to die. And more importantly, Lord, if they do not find water, they're probably going to kill me. So I'm asking you to give them the water that they need. Now, you must understand, historically, there is anywhere between 1.5 and 3 million people not including the livestock that were traveling in this caravan. They did not just need a bottle of water. 
They did not need just a well. What they needed was a river that could provide enough fluid to satisfy the longing of every individual and every one of their livestock. So God said, Moses, what do you have in your hand? Well, Lord, it's the rod that you gave me. He said, okay, well, is that not the same rod that I told you to lift up over the Red Sea? Yes, sir. Now, Moses, this was a wet place, and you needed a dry place. And when you lifted up that rod, I caused that sea to split open, and what was wet became dry, and it allowed you to walk across that dry ground into safety. He said, now, Moses, what I want you to do is I want you to take that very same rod and walk over to that little rock. Now, when you get to that little rock, I want you to hit that rock with that rod because just like I caused the wet to become dry, I'm going to cause the dry to become wet. I'm going to provide for you and for your people everything that you need to make it through this wilderness. You see, I'm a very curious person. I'm, I'm kind of odd, my wife says. And I'm a researcher by nature. And I have to find out the truth for myself. To be honest with you, I, I love many great men of God and I, I, I do not take them at their word all the time. Normally I go and I try to find truth for myself. And so one day I was walking through my driveway, headed to my car. And I, I saw this rock that was lying there and this message is going through my mind and I'm thinking to myself, okay, now God, you said you would take what was dry and make it wet and provide the nourishment for the people of God in their time of need. And so I picked up this rock within my hand, and knowing I am no Hercules, but also knowing I am no pygmy, I squeezed it with everything in my power. And knowing that when I opened up my hand, there was going to be moisture somewhere. I opened it up, and pastor, it was just as dry after squeezing it as it was before I squeezed it. So my curiosity is getting a hold of me. So I, I thought, well, maybe it needs more pressure. So I threw it as hard as I could upon the pavement of my driveway. And, and surely I thought there was going to be at least a drop of water. But to my shock and astonishment, there was nothing there. So I put it under the back tire of my car. And I got into that car and I turned the key and I backed over it with both tires. Went back over it forward with both tires knowing there's going to be a puddle of water there. But when I got out, there was nothing more than a rock on a dry pavement. And I was shocked and amazed, and I said, Now, Lord, you must tell me, if you could take what was dry and make it wet to provide the water of life for the people in the wilderness, how in the world could you do something so miraculous? Because, God, this is a dry object. This is nothing more than an inanimate piece of stone that cannot provide a river. But then it dawned on me very quickly. When God sees a people that is thirsty, when God sees a people that said, I've got to have some living water, when God sees a people that are going to die unless their thirst is quenched, he said, I'll do whatever it takes. I'll take the natural and make it supernatural. I'll bust a rock wide open and provide a river. I want to tell somebody here today, if you were thirsty, if you were dry, if you were parched, my God, he has a river of supply for you today and he'll do whatever it takes to ensure that you get the life that you need before you leave here. So, 
they celebrated this feast. The Bible said that he goes over there and he pops that thing open. Water begins to flood. Now in Leviticus, God said, I want you to start a feast. I want you to do this feast, and we're going to call it the Feast of Tabernacles or the Feast of Booths. And what I want you to do is I want you to leave your homes for seven days. I want you to make a makeshift tent out of palm branches and live in there to commemorate life in the wilderness. And here's what I want you to do. Every day the high priest will take a golden pitcher. He'll go to the pool of Siloam and he'll dip out a pitcher of water and he'll bring it back and pour it over the altar of God because I want you to commemorate and to memorialize the water you had in the wilderness. Now here's a problem. Here is a people who had drunk from the water of life. Here is a people who knew the satisfaction of the rivers of God. And yet now all they were doing was commemorating and memorializing what used to be. Now pardon me for a moment. One of the issues that I'm finding in many of our churches is people they cannot see beyond the water they used to have. I have been in many churches. And almost every revival, somebody will come up to me and say, Preacher, you should have been here in 19 so-and-so. Now that was a revival. You should have been here because back then the river of God was flowing and we had people saved by the hundreds. And oh, you should have been here when the river of God was flowing. We saw people who were bound and possessed delivered by the hand of God. And oh, you should have been here back then. You see, all they're doing is commemorating and memorializing the water that they used to have. You know, I get kind of tired of going to churches and hearing the revivals they used to experience and the moves of God they used to have. I I'm ready to go to church one more time and the pastor come to me and say, Brother Ball, the river of God is flowing here in our church. I want to tell you, neighbor, I have not come to commemorate a revival of yesteryear. I have not come to memorialize the water that my mother or my father used to have. I've come by to tell somebody the river that they had back then is the same river that is flowing today. It has not quenched. It has not dried up. He is still flowing in the house of God now. So they get out there, and they're celebrating this feast. Now, you must understand, thousands of years later, Jesus, being a Jew, is in Jerusalem. He's standing there amongst thousands of people, and he is there to celebrate this feast. And he's looking at the priest. He's looking at the people as they commemorate and memorialize the water of their forefathers. Now, Jesus, looking at them, has to believe within himself. You know, they're no longer in a wilderness, but these people are still in a dry place. And sure, they have the pool of Siloam, but they have no life-giving source. And so in the middle of this, Jesus stood up, and the Bible said that he cried. Now, there were no tears flowing from his eyes. It did not mean that he was weeping. It meant that he stopped them in their tracks to get their attention. Have you ever had anybody yell at you? Uh, my baby girl just turned 16. And she just got her license. There have been a many a time driving in that passenger seat where I saw a stoplight coming and she was not stopping. I yelled at her not because I was angry. I yelled at her not because I was upset. 
I yelled at her to stop her and to get her attention. That's exactly what Jesus was doing. Jesus was looking at these people in their commemoration and their memorialization, and he had to stop them. He said, wait just a minute. You need to stop your activity. You need to stop your program and realize that what you have is not giving you life, and what you have is continually making you walk in the wilderness, and what you have is continually making you suffer from not having the water that you need to carry on. He said, I need you to stop what you're doing and realize that there is only one source of water that you're going to find for your life. Neighbor, I want to tell you, maybe we've gotten so busy in the things of the church and maybe we have gotten so busy in the things and the activity of Christendom that we have taken our eyes off of the life-giving source and we're saying, you know, if we can just have more activity, if we can just have more program, if we can just do more things in the church, then surely those people that were dying will find their life. I want to tell you, neighbor, there's only one source of life and it's not going to be from your activity. It's not going to be from your program. The only source of life that we're going to have is the Lord Jesus Christ. My God, I believe that he's stopping us in our track this morning. I believe he's crying out to us today. Stop what you're doing and look unto me. He cried out to them and he said, if anybody here is thirsty, let him come unto me and drink. Pardon me. We are trying to get our water from too many other sources. We see churches who are dying. We see people who are waning away in their spirituality. We see people who are malnourished in their salvation. And all we are doing is trying to provide them water sources that continually fail them. We're trying to supply them with things that do not satisfy them. We are giving them options that do not quench the thirsting of their soul. When Jesus went to Samaria, John 4 and 4 tells us as he was going to Jerusalem to give his life for all mankind, he took a detour. In fact, the scripture said he must needs go to Samaria. In our modern day English, that was basically something was pulling him, something was drawing him. He had to go there. Now when he got there, he sat down beside a well, and as he is sitting beside this well, this woman happens to walk up with a water pitcher upon her shoulder. Historically, they would come early morning, mid-afternoon, and just before evening. They would draw from this well three times a day. I can see her as she walks up being a Samaritan woman. Jesus looks at her and said, pardon me, ma'am. Would you mind drawing me a little bit of that water that you have? <laughs> she looks over her shoulder. Are you talking to me? You must not know who I am. I'm a Samaritan. You religious people say I'm a dog. You Jews say I'm no good. You Jews say that I am a heathen, unrighteous, ungodly, Gentile sinner, and yet you're asking me for water? You must not know who I am. Because if you knew who I was, you would not be asking me for any water. Oh, but I like his response. You must not know who I am. Because if you knew who I was, you would not be coming to this well, but you would be asking me for some water. 
she looked at him and said, Sir, I do not see that you have a well anywhere. Are you telling me that you too have a source of water? He said, Not only do I have a source of water, but it's better than anything you're ever going to draw from this well. Oh, she looks back at him in response and says, You must be mistaken. Did you not know that your father Jacob built this well? And did you not know that he dug it out with his bare hands? And he is the one that provided us this water. You cannot be telling me that your water is better than the well of our father Jacob. He said, not only is it better, he said, but when you drink of it, you won't have to come back three times every day. He said you come back here in the morning because you were parched and thirsty. You have to come back in mid-afternoon because what you drank that morning has not satisfied you. And you come back before you go to bed because what you drank that afternoon is not yet able to satisfy you. He said you come three times a day and you are still parched. You come three times a day and you are still dry. You come three times a day and you are not satisfied. But when you drink of the living water that I have when you drink of it one time he said you will never thirst again neighbor I've come by to tell somebody you've been drawing from the wrong well that well of alcohol will not satisfy and the well of drugs will not satisfy the well of sexual promiscuity it will not satisfy my God there is only one well that can satisfy and that is the Lord Jesus Christ he said I am the living water. Oh, if you've ever tasted, lift up your hand and praise him right now. He is the well of living water. He said, don't look anywhere else. Quit drawing from this other source. Look unto me. Now notice something changes in our text when Jesus looks at these people. He said, if you're thirsty, come unto me and drink. But he shifts gears. And he said, if you'll believe on me as the scripture hath said, then out of your belly shall flow rivers of living water. Now you must understand in this text, we have two wells that he speaks of. One, the well of salvation. He said, I'm him. I'm the one that'll save you. I'm the one that'll quench your thirst. But then he spake, of the Spirit, living waters flowing out of you. But, but here's a connection. The Bible said in our text that Jesus spoke to the people and said, if you'll just believe on me as the Scripture hath said, out of your belly shall flow rivers of living water. Why did he have to say that? Because he was speaking to a group of people, a group of people who were sinners, Sinners, but yet very devoted to the word. You see, these were devout Jews, believing not on the Lord Jesus Christ, but the prophets that had come before him. Surely this man crying out to them could not be Messiah because this man did not come from the stock of a king. And surely this man could not be Messiah because our Messiah would have political power and influence. So surely he could not be the living water. But Jesus told him, no, you, you need to go back and talk to the prophets that you believe in. If you'll just go to them, you'll realize I am the living water. 
You see, I believe he was speaking a little bit of Zechariah 14 and 8. In Zechariah 14 and 8, God spoke to the prophet. And he said, there will come a day when living water shall flow from Jerusalem. Where was Jesus standing? In Jerusalem. What was he offering then? Living water. Jesus was telling the people, I'm exactly who the prophet foretold. I'm exactly the one that he was prophesying would say he's going to come. He's going to give you living water. He's going to bring you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. He's going to save your soul from the wretchedness of the law and bring you into his marvelous grace. And he is the one that God the Father had told the devil himself that you might bruise his heel, but he's going to bruise your head. And he's the very one that over the ages the prophet said, this is him. But then. Not only was he telling them, if you'll just go back, you'll find I'm the living water. He began to tell them, I'm also the one that's going to provide for you the well of the Spirit of God. Because you see, in Isaiah 58 and 11, the Bible said that God spoke to the prophet Isaiah and he told him. He said, I'm going to make you like a well-watered garden. A garden that has so much water that your springs will not fail. Oh, wow. You see, Jesus was offering them two experiences here. He was offering them not only the well of salvation which will save your soul, but he was offering to them a water supply that not only would fill you up, but it would begin to flow out of you and it would affect everybody around you. You see, if you have ever gardened before, you will know that when that well-watered garden becomes so full of water, it doesn't just stand there, but literally the water begins to disperse and, and it goes to the plants and it goes to the roots and it, it goes to that dry ground and it begins to bring forth fruit. You see, that is what happens when you taste not only of the well of salvation, but when you drink from the well of the Holy Ghost. Yes, the well of salvation it will fill you up but when you have the well of the Holy Ghost it'll begin to break out of you and that water that quenched your thirst will begin to flow to somebody else and it'll begin to quench their longing it'll begin to quench their thirst I want to tell you church of God what we need in this last day is not just a group of people who have tasted of the well of salvation what we need on our pews are people who have gone a little bit deeper who have gone a little bit harder who have worked a little stronger and said God God, I've got to have a taste not only of the well of salvation, but I need some well of the Holy Ghost. I need a water source that's flowing out of me. I need something that'll go out of my innermost being and reach the lost and dying world. You see, here's a great issue I find. We have so many people who are sitting on our pews who have tasted the well of salvation, but you do not understand that there is more to drink. We are living in a day where, according to reports, the American church who claim to be Pentecostal are no longer Pentecostal. The largest Pentecostal denominations in our nation, according to reports, not the media, not the government, <clears throat> not Hollywood, from the reports of these denominations, have realized that very quickly we have become a non-Pentecostal nation. Oh yeah, it's good to have the well of salvation just so you can get a get out of hell free card. But what about that neighbor? What about that friend, that co-worker? 
that has never tasted of that well. You see, the purpose of the well of the Holy Ghost is that water may flow through you into somebody else. And we get to that place where we stop right there and we say, okay, well, I've got just enough that I'm full. Just enough that my thirst has been quenched. Well, friend, my heart breaks today because I realize that 65% of our nation has no religious affiliation whatsoever. I'm not talking about just Christianity. I'm talking about no religious affiliation whatsoever. And when I see a lost and a dying nation, when I see a country that is no longer an American Christian nation, but an American atheistic society, I say, God, I've got to have more than just something that'll satisfy me. I've got to have enough of you that it flows out of me to satisfy somebody else. Neighbor, I want to tell you, I believe that in these last days, the Holy Ghost is wanting to pour himself out upon us that he might give us that living water to drink from. You see, Jesus, in this text, the Bible said it was in the last day, that great day of the feast. You see, there's something important about a last day. You see, Jesus spoke this on the last day of the feast. Now, <clears throat> I know that we all have things that God is still working on us about. And they say confession is good for the soul. Well, pardon me as I openly confess to you. Patience is not one of my virtues. In fact, I would dare say I'm one of the most impatient people you have ever met. When something needs to be done, we don't need to sit around and talk about it. Let's just do it. Hello? And if there's an issue that needs to be taken care of, you know, I believe in planning and I believe in organization. But let's do it. And let's do it correctly. So when I read this text, I'm a little confused at Jesus because, you know, if it were me, I wouldn't have just waited to the last day. I would have just gone and got this thing over with at the very beginning. You see, my impatience has often gotten me in trouble. In fact, several years ago, I was preaching at this very church. Somewhere around six or seven years ago, I had battled a kidney stone. In fact, I had had a procedure to remove the kidney stone. And I'll never forget standing behind this pulpit in such pain because of this procedure. And I went to the doctor after the revival was over for a checkup. And when I walked in, there was a sign on the door. Now, I know where I'm going, so just follow with me, please. There was a sign on the little window beside the lady at the front desk that said, if you have not been seen in 30 minutes, then notify the front desk. Next to it was a sign that said, if you are 15 minutes late, you will be charged $25 for this visit. Now, something's a little odd. If you wait 30 minutes, come tell us. If you're late 15 minutes, you owe us $25. So I'm sitting there and 15 minutes go by. 30 minutes go by. 
I walked up to the lady at the front desk and I said, pardon me, ma'am, your sign said if I've been here waiting for 30 minutes and I need to let you know I've been waiting for 30 minutes. She said, well, sir, we'll get to you as quickly as possible. I said, thank you very much. I went and sat down. 45 minutes have now passed. I walked up to her. I said, ma'am, I hate to bother you, but just to make sure everything is okay, would you please have my check ready before I leave? And she said, Mr. Ball, what kind of a check are you talking about? I said, well, your sign says that if I'm 30 minutes waiting to let you know. And the sign beside it said, if I'm 15 minutes late, then I owe you 25 bucks. Now, if you look at that correctly, I'm not a mathematician. My degree is in biblical theology, New Testament studies. I said, here is what I do understand that 15 plus 15 is 30 minutes. 30 minutes plus 15, 45. So I've been waiting 15, 15, and 15. If 15 equals 25, 30 must equal 50. And if 45, 50. You know, I didn't even need my calculator. I said, ma'am, you owe me $75 before I leave here if you carry me back right now. And she goes and she says, well, let me speak to somebody. And immediately the side door opened and she said, oh, we were getting ready to call you back, Mr. Ball. Come on. I did not receive my $75 check, but I have never had to wait again since going there. You see, sometimes my impatience is a little difficult to bear. So if it were me, I would have just got up and said, okay, it's the first day of the feast. Let's get this over with. If you're thirsty, then come unto me and drink. But Jesus, knowing what he's doing more than Michael Ball, he didn't need to get up on the first day because, you see, these people had only been out of their homes in these makeshift tents for one day. In fact, just a few hours. And so they were not thirsty. They, they had just drunk something a few hours ago. Uh, they were still comfortable in their makeshift tents. They were okay there. So Jesus said, well, no, today is not the day. Day two goes by. Day three. Day four. Day five, I can almost see these people getting a little irritated. I'm not a camper. Uh, roughing it is not one of my ideas of a good time. And uh, if I were to be away from the comforts of life for five days, it would probably drive me up the wall. I have a lot of nervous energy. I have to be doing something all the time. The majority of the time, I read between four and five books at a time to ensure that I get everything done. And I, I've got to be doing something all the time. My wife says I drive her crazy. I'm so thankful she's not here today. She'd be mad at me. But uh, she does think sometimes I'm going crazy because I'm constantly going and doing. By day five, I would be a nervous wreck. I've got to get out of here. This little tent made out of palm branches is about to drive me crazy. These people out here that I'm camping out with, they are getting on my very last nerve. I don't want to be around them any longer. I don't want to be living here any longer. I've got to get home. And Jesus said, no, it's not yet ready. So he waits until day seven. The last day, these people are fed up. These people are so thirsty, they can hardly stand it. 
These people are so sick with their environment. They're so sick with the culture. They're so sick of their surroundings. All they can think about is I've got to get home. I've got to get back to my house. I've got to get away from here and go back home. That's when Jesus stood up and cried. When he knew that they had to have something. When he realized they're so desperate. They're so thirsty. They are so tired of everything around them. This is when I'm going to give them what they have need of. Oh, there is something important about a last day. In fact, the prophet Joel spoke of it. And Peter quoted it. He said, in the last day, saith God, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. You see, why did Jesus wait until the last day to pour out the spirit of God upon his church? It's simple, my friend. On day one, we were not ready to go home. On day two, we were satisfied with the people around us and we were accommodated very well. On day two, three, four, and five, we still had not yet gotten to that breaking point. But in the last day, when we look at the society around us and we say I can't take it any longer when we look at this last day and say I'm sick of the culture around me I'm tired of my accommodation I've just got to get home that's when Jesus said when you were that thirsty I'm going to pour out my spirit upon you I'm going to give you a refreshing I'm going to give you a quenching I'm going to give you a soul shaking water that will change your life forever neighbor I want to tell you in this last day He's about to pour something out on us that's going to change us and prepare us to go home. You see, I've got to hurry. This clock back here says it's 11.48. You see, in this last day, he said, I'll pour out my spirit. You see, I've not come to give you a language lesson. But in the original Greek here, that word pour Unlike us pouring something, you know, when we pour something, we will eventually have to stop or else it'll spill over. This is a present active indicative for anyone who knows language studies. It means that it is a motion that is continual. Something that is done that does not stop. Some of you are thinking, well, did he have enough water? To give everybody the well of salvation? Oh, yeah. For whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. That wasn't just for Jerusalem. That was for the Gentiles. That wasn't just for his age. That was for all time. But preacher, what about the well of the Holy Ghost. He said, okay, I'm going to pour it. I'm going to start it, and it's not going to stop. I'm going to pour it, and it will never finish. Why? Because he said, this promise is unto you and to your children and all that are far off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. Notice what he said. This spake he of the Spirit, which they that believe on him should receive. Oh, there's something important about that word, should. My daughter, who I just spoke of, she is my princess. She tells people. They'll ask her, are you, are you Michael Ball's daughter? She'll say, no, I'm his princess. You see, daddies, if we don't tell our daughters that they are princesses, you might, well, I was getting ready to say something I shouldn't. You might end up having to uh, 
you know, get that shotgun ready for some boy that's going to try to tell her that she's a princess. Yeah. You see, she's my princess, but I went and told her the other day we had some guests coming over. I said, baby, you need to clean up your room. Now, my little boy, he, he keeps his stuff spotlessly. He's amazing. You know, I'm, I'm shocked at a 13-year-old boy that keeps his room clean. Never dirty. He'll clean it when I don't even tell him. But Hannah has never seen a room that she could not destroy. And so we had some guests coming over, and I said, now, baby, you need to clean this room. Okay, daddy, I'll get to it. I leave, I come back, an hour and a half later, I walk into her room, and it is still a mess, but she looks like a million dollars. I said, baby, why didn't you clean up your room, dad? I had to look presentable when our company comes over. But your room didn't? Well, Dad, I, I needed to do this first. Well, when she said that, I looked at her and I said, No, you should have done what I told you to do. You see, should have. I was telling her I commanded you to do something, and you didn't do it. You see, that's exactly what John is saying here. He said, If you believe on him, you should. Drink from the well of the Holy Ghost. It's not an option. It's not a suggestion. It's not if you want to. It's a commandment. Jesus breathed on them, and that word breathe in the original means he forcefully commanded them. And Jesus said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. But notice, I'm closing very significantly. In this last day, this day of trouble and trial, this time of struggle and despair. Jesus is still crying out to a people who are thirsty, to a people who are parched. And he's saying, I have exactly what you have need of. You may be unsaved. And, and, and I, I mean not to offend anyone, but I personally do not like the term unchurched. N nothing wrong with it. It's not biblically incorrect or anything. But, you know, sometimes we just need to be blunt with our situation. It's not that you're unchurched. It's that you're unsaved. So you today who are here who have never tasted of living water, you know what Jesus is saying to you? Stop. Quit going through your programs. Quit going through the mundane routine of life. I, I know you're thirsty. Preacher, why would Jesus, how does he know that? Well, it's simple. That woman at the well I told you about, she was an adulterer. She was a sinner. And yet Jesus went out of his way to go to that well to tell her, you don't need to come here anymore. I've got the water you need. Oh, I feel the Holy Ghost. You see, Jesus went out of his way. And he came down this Sapona Road. 
and came and sat right here today waiting for you to come in. Tell me the reason you felt him as you came in is because he had already come and was waiting for the people to come. And he's telling somebody here today, you don't have to draw from the well of sin anymore. I've got what you need. And then there are those of you who you have already tasted of the well of salvation and you know that you're on your way to heaven. You know that things are right between you and God. But yet there is still a barren, dry place in your life. And you realize there's something greater that I have to have. There's something more intimate that I know is there for me. He said, that's okay, because what I'm going to give you is not just a drink that will fill you up, but I want to continually pour in you until it pours out of you. Oh, wow. He's talking about the baptism in the Holy Ghost. You don't know how you can be satisfied in your Christian walk? Let the river flow from you. When that river begins to pour out of you, there is something satisfying to know that I've tasted and I've seen that he's good. But he not only gave me a drink, he gave me a river. And not just a river, he said rivers, plural, multiple. Rivers of living water flowing out of you. Now tonight I'm preaching part two of this message, why we need the river flowing. So that means you have to be here to hear part two. So with every head bowed and every eye closed, nobody looking but me and God, Today, you may be here not having drunk from the well of salvation. Your soul may be thirsty. And possibly you have tried it all. Maybe you have done the alcohol and the drugs and the sexual promiscuity and the gambling, the things of this world, the things of this life, and yet every day you come back and say, I'm still not satisfied. The reason you have to continually drink is it doesn't satisfy you. The reason you continually do the drugs is it does not satisfy you. The reason you, quote, unquote, sleep around is because you are unsatisfied. He'll satisfy you today. Can I guarantee you, you know, we just passed Christmas a couple of months ago and I heard so many advertisements. We guarantee that you'll be satisfied or your money back. Friend, I want to tell you, I guarantee you that when you try him, you'll be satisfied.
If I'm talking to you today and you know that today you must drink from the well of salvation. You know that you must be saved. I want you to lift up your hand very quickly and put it right back down. Nobody's looking but me and God. Several of you lifted up your hands. I've got to be saved today, preacher. If you raise your hand, I want you to step out from where you are and make your way to this altar right now. Don't wait on anybody. Don't wait on anybody. Preacher, I need salvation. I need our ministers to come and help me pray. I want you to actually pray with them. Praise God. Come on, ministers. Have them kneel in this altar, please. Have them kneel in this altar, and you begin to pray over them. Oh. Hallelujah. Pray a prayer of salvation with them. Have them pray along with you. The Bible said if you confess with your mouth, hold on just a second. If you confess with your mouth and believe with your heart, that means you've got to speak it out. Have them speak it out. Now, while these are down here drinking from the well of salvation, there are more of you out here today. You are saved, but you have never tasted of the well of the Holy Ghost. You are ready to be filled with the Spirit this morning. You are ready to receive your Pentecostal power. I want you to step out right now if you're ready to receive the baptism. Preacher, I've never been filled with the Holy Ghost, but I'm ready to receive him right now. Come on. Don't wait. I'm ready to receive right now. Come on this side right here. There's more of you. I know there is. If you need the baptism in the Holy Ghost, if you are not satisfied and you, you say, Preacher, I know I'm on my way to heaven, but I've got to have a deeper experience. I'm going to give you one more chance. There's some others here who need the baptism this morning. You need the baptism this morning. If not, I want everybody to stand with me. Sister Gore, would you come over here and help me with this young lady? Pray. She's seeking the baptism. Brother Gore, pray for him. I want every person, maybe you are saved, maybe you have the Spirit of God, but maybe you are in a dry place in your spiritual walk. Maybe you need a refreshing. You know, he will bring away in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. If you're ready to launch into that river of living water and just to get refreshed, I'm going to ask everybody to flood this altar right now. Come on, quickly. I want you to come and lift up your hands and begin to worship the Lord. Oh, we worship you, Lord. We magnify your name. Come on, I'm calling for everybody. Come out. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Hallelujah. 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 Come on, make your way close. There's more people coming. Get as close to the altar as you can. Come on. Take a step up, everybody. Make room for all.
As they begin to sing, I want everyone just lifting up your hands and begin to worship the Lord. Let the living water flow over you right now. He's here. Come on, sing.